0: Hello again and welcome to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM, KSRQ. We're available beyond the FM dial at RadioNorthland.org where you can stream this live in the moment or you can check out the archive at RadioNorthland.org. Wrestling Memories, we have got oh, about six years now of Wrestling Memories uh, shows from many great legends we interviewed throughout the years and it's a wonderful thing. RadioNorthland.org, tune in, that's the app you can listen to us live as well. Check out Pioneer 90.1 FM it's a great wrestling memories uh, day once again i'm glenn broggett along with my man he's back the grizzled veteran from the great state he's down in the great state of texas right now enjoying some of that warmth while i'm still starting to acclimate to the season of spring and he's here and he's not coming alone today well he has brought himself one main event bobby dazzler of a main event How? Oh, let's talk about it mike mccurdy the grizzled veteran himself welcome back to wrestling memories you were out booking my friend
1: um, I'm glad to be back again, man. Hopefully, this is going to be more of a regular basis. I keep missing a few episodes, but uh, you know, you've had some great interviews and all that. And today is going to be just another fascinating interview.
0: Well, you know what, man? I am going to let you do the honors of of doing the proper intro uh, for for this gentleman that you were able to book for us. Uh, he comes uh, from the fantastic, fantastic Hollywood. Yes, that's all, he, all I know about it. You tell me about this, and you tell our listeners who you got lined up, who this main event is, and let me tell you, after that, they're going to be amazed, I have a feeling.
1: I will say it is definitely an honor to introduce this man. He has wrestled in so many territories, Dallas, Memphis, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, and in points in between. The man has veritably been in the ring with so many legends, Andre the Giant, Lou says Gorgeous George Jr., Greg Hammer, Valentine, Chavo Guerrero, so many more. Rowdy Roddy Piper, the list goes on and on. And he's also had success in Hollywood, movies, television, public speaking. This man can do it all. And today, we can add him. Another item goes to his resume. A guest on today's edition of Wrestling Memories. But no matter how well I intro this man, is not as good As the intro he can give himself, Glenn, I'm bringing to you the original Mr. Wonderful Rock Riddle.
2: Michael, you did such a good job of introducing me from your your cell phone in your car sitting there in Texas in the 75 degree heat. I thought it was just an amazing introduction, however, as you said. It was not quite good enough, so I will introduce myself. Who better to do it than me? Direct from his palatial estate, high in the hills of Hollywood, California, we present to you, live and in person, the first, the only, the original, Mr. Wonderful of professional wrestling, the diamond ring and Lamborghini man, the man who possesses the body. That men fear and women love. The intercontinental lover. The Rolls Royce of wrestling. Rock riddle. See? Now, Mike, I want to give you the opportunity. I gave you the short version. So I want to give you the opportunity to simply repeat that. And we'll get you to the point that you can do a proper introduction sooner or later.
1: Well, we're going to have to work on that introduction, sir, because, as I said, I cannot do it as well as you. I don't have those golden tones.
2: Yes, but you sound so good. Your voice sounds good because <laughs> your phone is graveling your voice. more oh, you sound like that a little bit, more,
1: like More of a wrestler. Well, see, that's why I'm referred to as the grizzled vet because, uh, you know, the Texas weather right here tends to affect the vocal cords just a little bit. So that's where the, uh, the nickname that Glenn has bestowed on me came from.
2: Very good. What would you like to do, to know today?
1: Well, sir, as I said, you know, in my intro, um, you've been in so many territories. I listed just yeah. a few, but obviously, you know, you started off, you were a fan of Rip Hawk, Sweet Hansen. You yeah. started off and found out about wrestling and started off as a fan club president. You started a fan club for these gentlemen. So I'd like you to kind of tell our listeners just how you got your start in wrestling and what got your interest in it.
2: When I was 14 years old, I was a very shy kid. I was a skinny little kid, weighed maybe 128 pounds, something like that. I was the, not the bully, I was the bullied. So I would hide, I I would be in the back of the classroom, hoping that if the teacher were in the classroom, that I would never be called upon. Because if I had to actually say something, answer a question, I I don't know if if there would be a voice there. The worst thing that could ever happen would be the teacher would call on me and I would have to go to the front of the room to answer a question because I knew if that ever happened, I would physically die, fall on my face dead before I got there. That's the kind of kid that I was. At the age of 14, before the teacher came into the room, all the kids are talking about these horrible, horrible wrestlers by the name of Rip Hawk and Swede Hansen. And because I grew up in North Carolina in a small town, this is what they said. At Rip Hall, he's a, he's a mean old son of a gun. I think he ought to be shipped out of the state. Do you know what he said about us? He said we a bunch of ignorant dirt farmers. I don't think he ought to be allowed to wrestle. Uh, uh, sir, he ought to send him back. Up. We'd probably be a Yankee anyway. Et cetera. It actually went beyond that because people did not only dislike him, they hated him. I had never heard of Rip Hawk, Sweet Hansen. I had never heard of, I had heard the word professional wrestling, but I never knew what it was. But because people hated these guys so much, I figured I would watch television the next Saturday morning at 11 o'clock and watch the host of the live, not six second delay totally, absolutely live professional wrestling program. Charlie Harville was the host. So at 11 o'clock Saturday morning, I'm sitting on this old Oriental rug in the middle of my living room and the wrestling show comes on. I can hear the the music in my head right now. This is how much of an impact it had. Johnny Weaver, the late Johnny Weaver, and George Becker, two amazingly great legends in the professional wrestling business they were on television live there were kids there kids like my age 14 15 16 and i said how did they get on television well they are the president and a couple of members of the george becker and johnny weaver fan club and i said that they're regular people. How do regular people get on television? They're not stars. I don't understand this. They were there to make a live presentation to their heroes, Johnny Weaver and George Beckert. And they presented them with a plaque of appreciation, and they presented them with an old, large, plastic radio. It was very interesting because after that happened... And I'm in awe that again that people who are not stars can be really on television. I, I it does, doesn't make any sense. But Rip Hawk went up to Weaver, went up to the microphone and said,
0: "Hey Weaver,
2: uh, that's pretty nice that your uh, fan club that lady that whatever her name is that she gave you these gifts. So that's that's very nice, Johnny Weaver." is standing is leaning backward away from Rip hawk not trusting him. Rip says Uh could we see the could I see the present they gave you? Johnny Weaver's very reluctant. Rip says I just want to see it. So Johnny Weaver hands him this big old fashioned plastic radio. Rip takes it straight above his head with both hands throws it to the floor with gusto. It smashes into a hundred pieces, then he stomps on the pieces. And of course, there's this great melee that happens. Wow. I'd never seen anything like this before. As Rip continues on the show, as he is interviewed, I've noticed something. I'm noticing that he's uh, he has such joy that he's Attempting, from my point of view, he's attempting not to smile because he has those people. They hate him so much, and he loves it. It's, again, absolute joy. I saw the humor in this man. I saw how much he was enjoying this. I saw these two legends, Rip Hawk, Sweet Hanson, bleached blonde hair, bigger than life, suntans, great wrestling outfits, great wrestlers. And boy, could they work the microphone. Rip was a master. I said, oh my gosh. These people, they're cocky and condescending and arrogant. Finally, I have role models. So that's why I started the fan club. As this shy kid, I think we all need some degree of attention. And shy kids want to hide and they don't get very much attention. So I said, why don't I start a fan club for someone who's more hated than Adolf Hitler, more hated than fill in the name of any villain? Rip Hawk, Sweet Hansen fan club. The motto will be fair, square, modest, and honest. Oh, let's flash forward just a little bit. I'm at the Greensboro Coliseum, Greensboro, North Carolina, for live wrestling matches. And again, I'm 14 years old. I have fan club cards that I printed. Rip Hawk, Sweet Hanson Fan Club, Fair Square, Modest and Honest, formed in whatever year it was to spread the Hawk and Hansen fame throughout the world, etc. As I'm there with a couple of my little friends and we're near the dressing room doors, I have my card out and I'm showing them. The announcer comes over. He says, what do you have there? I said, oh, well, it's uh, um, a, a, a card. He says, uh, could I see it? But by the time he finished, That sentence or that question, could I see it? He already had it in his hand. He says, oh, Rip Hawksweed, handsome fan club. Uh, Oh, wow. Um, I'll be right back. I'm going to show this to Rip. And before I could say anything except turning white, he's down in the dressing room. He's going down the stairs into the dressing room. And I'm shaking a little bit. Because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Rip Hawk is going to see humor in this or if he's going to be upset because I I never knew how to contact him. I never knew that I should get permission, anything of that sort. So Rip Hawk came out and he came over to me. He says, hey, kid. I said, yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He says, this fan club thing. I said, yeah. He said, "Uh, are you serious about that? I, well, uh, well, sir, I... Because if you're serious, I'll help you. I'll get pictures for Sweden myself to you. I don't know what to say then. As this shy, skinny little kid. And I, I finally have a hero, and my hero just accepted me. That was pretty amazing. Let's go forward two more years. On my 16th birthday, I decided I would be a professional wrestler. That was a truth in my world i weighed a hundred and let's see i wrestled on 135 or 135 pound weight class so i think i weighed about 132 pounds and i decided on the 16th birthday i'm going to be a professional wrestler i happen to share that information with people who laughed at me and thought I was out of my mind. I remember one fellow who was a barber in a little place called Graham, North Carolina. There is, it borders Burlington, North Carolina, another little tiny place, and this is where I grew up. In Graham, there's this house, typical old house, with a one-room sort of an extra-added small gosh what would you say it would be uh, like a room added with a with its own door a little tiny room with one barber chair in it and uh, and a barber pole outside so i'm in there getting a haircut and i told the barber because i was 16 i was going to be a professional wrestler he looked at me this old guy he says boy that's a pop dream your bone structure is too small you would have to gain 100 pounds you you ought to just get yourself a job like your daddy he's been working in the drugstore since he's 14 my my i'm sure he's a like a soda jerk kind of guy but uh he's he's doing good enough he's gonna have his house paid for another eight years i don't know why anybody won't leave the county you got everything you want right here why don't you just you know, uh, but you could be like a, like a plumber. They make good money, and and then you have some security. You ain't never going to be a wrestler. I looked at him like he had no idea, like he was crazy. Because from my point of view, he was crazy. He had absolutely no idea what he was saying because he did not understand. I had made a commitment. I had made a conscious choice. It was he and probably Oh, 150, other people who told me how impossible it was and how I should just settle down and, and start thinking rationally and realize that that's, you, can't even, you can't even dream that, boy. It's such a far-fetched thing. So I went down t- after I was graduated from high school there at the age of 17 in Burlington, North Carolina. And I remember vividly I had my car paid for. My Cadillac, yes, had that paid for for several months. I had it totally packed for over three weeks awaiting this big day. I took that cap and gown as soon as I had the diploma in my hand. I walked briskly to this very, very large cardboard box where we were repatriating, where we were putting these caps and gowns into the box so that they would go back to wherever they were, the place from which they were rented, I walked directly to my Cadillac. I got in there. I started that Cadillac and I drove, I believe, 21 hours straight to Palm Beach County, Florida, to a place where I knew there was opportunity. I was so happy to get away from that small town thinking. I got through college in two years, three years by going year round. So at the old age of 20, Old age of 20, I'm a college graduate. The day after I was graduated from college, I was wrestling professionally. I had my first professional wrestling match. It was in St. Petersburg, just outside of Tampa, St. Pete, Florida. Main event, first match, first time ever in the ring. I was thrown into the ropes. I had never been in the ring before. My gluteus maximus went through the two ropes, the top two ropes, I landed on the back of my head on the concrete outside to a gasp by all there in the ring referee and the people of. (gasps) But I had I was doing what I wanted to do. I was doing something that I realized when I was 14 that I was born to do once I was was exposed to it. That adrenaline, I just popped right up and got right back in the ring. I remember making a grand total of $5 for my first match, and it was fantastic. I continued wrestling. I went within another year and a half, I suppose. I was back in my old hometown deliberately. National Guard Armory was completely sold out. Their main event, Rock Riddle, Mr. Wonderful versus George Becker ex-heavyweight champion of the world and one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. In North Carolina, in the South, they considered him basically a deity. They even had a joke. If someone would say, uh, excuse me, who's who's George Becker? George Becker? They'd say, boy, you don't know who George Becker is. What's the matter? You You don't go to church on Sunday? (laughs) Implying that he is up there with the creator, etc. cetera. I defeated him in the middle of the ring, took a few short tuts. People hated me. They took knives away from people. Um, they called out the riot squads. They called out all of the counties around, the police did, because they anticipated this was going to be a much larger riot than it was. But then I made, of course, the front page of the newspaper, that kind of thing. So many stories. I could could take two hours and just tell you about that situation, about the fellow who wanted to hit me with his walking cane and actually did because I called his bluff and how the police came down to the dressing room and I thought they were going to take me away because I put my hand on his chest and gently sat him back down. The newspaper said I knocked this old fellow who was walking with a cane over eight rows of chairs. Lots of different things. But let me just get to this point. The next day, I'm in that same barber chair with that same barber weighing 236 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. 236. Those are 100 pounds larger than I was when I was sitting in this chair before. And I have these 18 and a half inch cold arms. Not huge, but not bad. My stomach was probably five or six inches. Yeah, six inches smaller than it is right now. And I'm not in bad shape right now. This barber was cutting my hair and he just stopped. And he put his clippers down. He walked around in front of me. He shook his head, looked me in the eyes. He says, well, by golly, you, you done it. Uh, I don't know how, but I tell you this. I don't think nothing's impossible no more once I've seen you do it. I said thank you. Because that's what I wanted. Because nothing is impossible unless you believe it's impossible. Anyway, that's a short version of how I got involved in the professional wrestling business. And it's it's all attitude. It's me creating my own hero. My thought was from the very beginning, from the age of fourteen, when I would start doing promos, interviews in front of my bathroom mirror. It wasn't long, and I did not have a great deal of of confidence, obviously, but it it did not take a lot of time before I got to the point where I said, I just finished a promo in the mirror, and I looked at myself, and I said, you know, you're better than most of the professional wrestlers, and you're just a 14, 15-year-old kid. So I got to the point where I would be pretty decent on the microphone and I could manipulate people, manipulate their emotions, assume, picture this, you and I, the wrestlers who are listening in, they will understand this. If they have retained any degree of major success in the industry, they will understand. Other people probably will not. If you're a fan, you may not get this, but I will attempt to explain it in such a way That it will make sense. Assume that you and I are in the ring. We are wrestling each other. We have 17,500 people in the audience. We can stand those people up, every one of them, bring those on the floor forward to the edge of the ring, back them up, sit them back down at will. That's the power we have. That's understanding crowd psychology. That's knowing how far that you can go, how far we can go. At the beginning, I did not know how, I knew how to get them out of their seats and up to the ring, and I did not know how to back them back and put them back in their seats. So there were a lot of riots I caused. and A lot of times when chairs were thrown in the ring, and we would pick one up and use that to fend off all the others that were flying toward our heads i have many 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 professional wrestling stories but to go from 128 pounds skinny kid at the age of 14 to 236 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal defeating the former world champion in the middle of the ring in my old hometown that wasn't bad Then going on to, at the height of my career, I had top billing over the heavyweight championship of the world. Sold out, or I'll say since some of the boys are listening, helped sell out major arenas all over the United States and up into Canada. And yes, I worked with the best in the world. I worked with virtually all of the legends. I am so lucky. I made my own luck, and at the same time, I think it went beyond that because I was accepted by everyone. Okay, go ahead, ask me some questions. Otherwise, I'll keep going. I'll take. I'll do two hour show. Uh, two hours easily. In fact, I did a TV. No, I'm sorry. I did a radio show. It was two hour, uh, two hours long. It was the first time I'd ever done this particular show. This was probably two years ago. I sent an email to. The host. And I said, okay, normally when I do two-hour shows, the host says, Rock Riddle, would you please introduce yourself? And then the host doesn't say another word, and we have a brilliant two-hour show. He sent me an email back, and he says, well, okay, thank you for that, Uh, but but don't you think it would be appropriate if I were to ask maybe a couple of questions? (laughs) I said,
1: I'm kidding you. Do you have anything for me? Go
2: ahead. Is
1: there anyone still on the line? Oh, we're both here, here and we're listening with uh, all ears open. (laughs) Um, You have wrestled in many major territories. As I said, Dallas, and you were in Memphis. You've been in Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles. You've also worked in Glenn's neck of the woods, so I'm sure he has a few questions about your time with the AWA and in Minnesota.
2: Absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful times. Glenn, what would you like to know?
0: Well, I want to know, if, first of all, how did you uh, first end up in the AWA? Who, who made contact with who? Uh, who, who was uh, the person that brought, brought you in? And what was your impression? Because you had worked in warmer climates uh, to come up, in, especially when you came up to the AWA. It was towards the tail end of 1974, and uh, things were starting to uh, get a little bit colder. I mean, earlier in the year, you're working down in the Gulf Coast, and you're coming up to work the Chicago Amphitheater at the end of of the year so you're getting kind of a, a bit of a climate difference but tell us your, your story about how you ended up with the the awa uh, back at that point uh, around 1974
2: that would go back and it would correspond with a question i'm often asked and that question is rock who trained you and my response is i trained myself then the people laugh and they say no seriously who trained you and i say seriously i trained myself you asked the question who booked you into the AWA? I did. Who booked me into Roy Shire's territory? I did. I I knew that other people would just sit and wait around for things to happen or they would see if they could talk someone of uh, of some power into doing something on their behalf, I just just didn't need to do that. When I first went into the AWA, I think my first match on the way to Minneapolis was uh, at Chicago's International Amphitheater. Yeah, it's a little cool. And I think one of the first matches after that, maybe a few days later, was Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was snowing. It was -40 degrees with I don't I think that was with the chill factor, but it was very cold. I had found a place in Brooklyn Park, which is a suburb of Minneapolis, and Everyone else had their cars plugged into heaters. I didn't have mine plugged in. I had a little Volkswagen Carmen They still, I remember going out there to my car, looking at them. They have their, they're attempting to get their car started. They won't start. I, they've got heaters in there plugged in. I just go in my car. <clears throat> Take my little Carmen and go. I was booked into Green Bay, Wisconsin. It seems like it was on a Sunday afternoon. And as I'm going, the snow is coming down like crazy. I think there was just a blizzard that had happened or was in the process of happening. And I said, okay, great. Now I'm going to get to this place. There's going to be nobody here. No one in their right mind's going to go out in this kind of weather. So this is not going to be a great payday for tonight. I went directly into, and I've got there early. I always get places early. And I was directed where to park, where the dress room, dressing rooms were. I went into the dressing room, and I knew there was no, not going to be anybody there. So I didn't even bother looking out. Then as it got time to start, that's when I looked out. The place was sold out. This big arena was totally sold out. (laughs) So I had this big smile on my face. I knew this was the place I wanted to be. From there, I believe, as I was coming back, no, I think as I was going there, I looked on the map and there was a national forest, something like that. There was a road that went through it. I said, oh, that's a shortcut. I was the only person on the road. There were no tire tracks. I remember stopping for a moment and saying hello to a couple of deer that were right there next to me. Only later did I realize no one else went through there because if they had a car problem with minus 20, 30, 40 degrees, that they would die. And that's why people uh, stayed on the main roads. Interesting stuff. But I imagine this, I'm in the dressing room. In fact, I'll give you this, Glenn, if you'd like to know. Sure. The first time I wrestled Kazuo Vasiri, the Iron Sheik.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you know that story? Would you like me to share that story? Oh,
0: absolutely. Share the story with us.
2: I'm in Chicago, Chicago's International Amphitheater, if I remember correctly. And I'm pretty sure it was. I have no idea who I'm wrestling I go into the dressing room, though, and all these major stars are there. And one fellow, let me see, the Stan Kowalski, the big K, he says to me, because I'm new, he says, hey, kid, who are you wrestling tonight? I said, I have no idea. He says, oh, well, let me uh, take a look at the program. Who's got a program? Oh, crap, Riddle. What? You got Kajo Vasiri. I said, okay, I don't know the name I'm just in. He says, look, come over here. Let me let me explain this to you. I wouldn't tell you this if they didn't like you. You're new to the territory. You don't know. I mean, you look, look at all the people here in and, uh, and, and the dressing room. You've made all these people in Harley Race there, and he just offered to give you a ride to one of the towns and stuff. But uh, look, this Kajo Vasiri guy. I got to tell you, he's a bit of an ass. When you go out there, you tie up with this guy. If he starts getting really super tight and stiff and stuff, put him against the ring. Back him up. Put his back over the ring. Lean him backward. Give him a punch. And I mean hit that guy. Give him like a hard punch, a hard forearm. Pop it all over. You'll hear it. It'll pop all over and echo all over the building. But hit him hard. That way, you know, Maybe he'll loosen up a little bit. He'll wrestle like he's supposed to. And he ain't going to be leaving finger and thumbprints in your arm when he touches your arm like that. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> now, I'm going toward the dress. Uh, I'm sorry, toward the ring from the dressing room. I see on the other side, way over on the other side from their dressing room, here comes this fellow. He looks in good shape. I remember these thoughts in my head. Oh, he looks like he's in good shape. Got this big club that he's carrying around with him. Okay, some sort of an exercise club. Um, Interesting. Should be a good match. We tie up, and that's Khosrow Vassiri. We tie up. This guy is, like, incredibly, from my point of view, unnecessarily stiff, leaving fingerprints from grabbing me so hard in my arm. And I said, okay. Well, Stan told me. I backed him over the rope. I hauled off and BAP! I hit him. And I did what I was uh, what was suggested to me by Stan Kowalski. I hit him hard. And I could hear it pop, 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 echoing off the building. Kozro Vasiri, Eyes wide open, big eyes, round, looking at me, staring at me in disbelief. He doesn't believe that I just did that. Okay. We tie up. Okay. Things are better. Have a good wrestling match. Then he gets unnecessarily putting his fingerprints in my arm again. I said, okay, this guy doesn't learn. Put him over the ropes. And this time I hit him harder. And again, echoes pop, 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 pop. For the rest of the match, there was a look on his face of absolute total disbelief. Hmm. As I'm coming back from the dressing room, sorry, back to the dressing room from the ring, all of the wrestlers, all of the bad guys, I mean, my gosh, I think Crusher Lasowski was there. And, I was so many different people, uh, but all these amazing talents, they're looking at me and smiling. And I said, oh, I guess they watched the match. Well, that's that's nice. New kid in territory. They wanted to see the match. Some of them were laughing. I go into the dressing room. Stan Kowalski is laughing, rolling on the floor. I have no idea what's going on. He says, "Kid." <laughs> Come over here. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe. It. I thought they'd bring you back on a stretcher. Do you know who that is? You just wrestled. <laughs> this Cosgrove Terry. He's one of the meanest, baddest, toughest S.O.P.s in the whole world. This guy was a personal bodyguard to the Iran. He's a gold medal winner in the Olympics for wrestling. <laughs> I looked over at Stan, and I said, in other words, welcome to the AWA. He said, welcome to the AWA, kid.
0: (laughs) That is a...
2: (laughs) Kajro Vasiri, the Iron Sheik. I don't know if to this day he knows how much better he is and was than I ever was. He could have twisted me into a pretzel at any time. He could have mopped up the ring with me and now uh, since that time we've had such great respect for each other and uh i i don't i never let anyone ride with me i had my little karmagia i like to drive by myself and be totally independent be able to stop where i wanted when i wanted that kind of thing but Kazro vasiri he rode with me i let him ride with me anyway go ahead
0: Okay, I was going to ask a few more questions about some of the guys that you got a chance to work with while you were in the the AWA, uh, and uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, Olympic athletes with Cosmo Bizzari, uh, another guy that uh, he passed away uh, quite young, but he did have a couple of years uh, in the AWA, and you had an opportunity to work with him, and uh, in a couple of handicap matches, both uh, tagging up with Paul Pershman, aka a very young uh, Playboy buddy Rose, and Bobby Heenan. Can you talk about working with uh, guys like you know like Chris Taylor? in for instance uh, in in some of those contests that you did uh, with you know with Bobby and uh, with young Paul Pershman buddy buddy Rose
2: right Paul Pershman my gosh several years after i of course i let Paul ride with me occasionally and and he was very new to the business and he was so appreciative uh, i ran into Playboy buddy Rose at a CAC, a Cauliflower Alley Club, yearly wrestling reunion. And he, we were doing an interview, and he says, yeah, this is rocking. I always love the fact that you let me ride with you. And my thought was, I never let you ride with me. I've, I never, I've seen you on television. I never met you before. And I did not realize, because he looked so different. He was so much better he was huge compared to what paul Pershman was it took a long time before i realized this is this guy used to be paul Pershman, a little kid but i have uh, i have videotape of uh, of an interview and that we did it's very nice i i should probably put it up on youtube i've got so much tape anyway going back to the uh, Give me the large guy's name, the uh, Olympian I wrestled. Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. Yeah. You see, I never had any fear. I never was afraid of anyone. I wrestled Luthez. My gosh, the reputation he had was you should avoid going in the ring with him at all costs. And um, Johnny Walker, Mr. Wrestling Number 2 and what have you. But I always respected the other guys. I respected the promoters. I went in there to do what I was supposed to do, went in to, to wrestle these guys, to work with these guys. Um, Chris Taylor, yeah, he was just a big guy, and big guys, you you don't do much with them. You try to pick them up. I try to pick up one of his legs. Nothing, I can't even get his leg off the ground. This guy is probably 400 pounds, am I right? Something like that?
0: Oh, yeah, he was a, he was a big, big, big boy uh, in his day.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was basically the same as wrestling Haystack Calhoun, which I did when I had top billing over the heavyweight championship of the world, which was, let's see, Jack Briscoe versus um, Ken Mantell, the heavyweight, world heavyweight wrestling champion versus the junior heavyweight wrestling champion for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. And I had top billing over them. Interesting story there. And then we'll bring me back to this one. But. I'm in my dressing room, and I have one of my pictures out, so I autographed it. I'd never met Jack Briscoe until that night, and or I don't think I had, but I said to Jackie Briscoe, one of my biggest fans, hang in there, kid. One day, you'll make it. You'll be main event. You'll be the headliner, just like your hero, me, rock Mr. Wonderful Riddle. I gave it to the referee. And I said, would you take this to the other side, to the dressing room, give this to Jack Briscoe? Apparently he did. And I talked to someone a few years back who had visited Jack Briscoe at his home before he passed away. And I was told that on his wall with all of these other things, there was that (laughs) autographed picture from me since I had top billing over his match that particular night. I miss that man. I I miss so many people. I miss Andre the Giant. Andre was a good friend. So I don't know what else to tell you about Chris Taylor. I remember wrestling him up in Canada. I remember wrestling him a few times, but I don't remember much more than that about him. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you give us plenty there. And before I hand it back uh, to Mike, I want to talk about uh, you know working uh, not only in the AWA but working for Vern Gagne. What What are some of your memories uh, of, of working with Vern, and uh, what was your experience like? Because it has varied uh, some to 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 other extremes than others. I mean, as far as praise and also uh, the opposite side of the coin on the on 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 that praise thing. Uh, what was your experience uh, working with with Vern and, and interacting with Vern Gagne while you were in the AWA?
2: I liked Vern Gagne. I enjoyed being in the ring with him. I enjoyed being in the dressing room with him. I enjoyed listening to him and his stories. I have a theory. Maybe it's just me, but this has been my experience throughout my entire professional wrestling career. I go in with respect for the promoters. These people are paying me. What do they want? You see, from the wrestler's point of view, I could see maybe what's going on in this match. I could see maybe where it might be headed a week or two or three down the road. The promoter sees what's going to be happening, hopefully, if he's any good, six months, a year, a year and a half, even two years down the road. So if a promoter were to give me some suggestions, I would say fine. He's paying me. It's like being on the set of a movie and someone says, "Okay, this is your line, and uh, you're going to slip right here and fall on your face." And you say, "Uh, "I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think my character would do that." Okay, good. Let's get another actor in here who doesn't have that problem. I got along so well with Vern Gagne. I got along very well with Roy Shire. A lot of people hated Roy Shire in San Francisco. The man invited me and and my lady friend at the time invited us to visit him at his ranch at Sebastopol. Hardly any of the guys had ever been invited there. After I had left that territory, he kept bringing me back, flying me in to do television for him and to go over and wrestle Vegas. And it was because he liked me. I liked him. Was he gruff? Yeah. Was he a... Could he be condescending I think he had a sense of humor and it was simply his way of uh, exercising control I got along with Nick Goulas in Tennessee I made money in Tennessee very very few people made money in Tennessee everyone hated Nick Goulas virtually everyone hated Nick Goulas he used to brag about the fact that he paid over a million dollars a year in taxes and this is back Long, long, long time ago, so with inflation, what's that, maybe $10 million now? It's like bragging about the $10 million I pay per year in taxes so I can have a lot more, so I can pay the boys just enough that they don't have enough money for gas to get to the next territory. Give them just enough so that they don't quit. But he liked me, and I made money there. I think it's an attitude with the wrestlers. Are you in in business for yourself, or are you going to make that help make that territory good? Give you a fast story that maybe will relate to that. When I was in Tennessee, where the guys were making not very good money, except the very very top guys, I was I asked in the dressing room. I said, "What's this? I hear about a promotion in San Francisco. Uh, this guy's name is Roy Shires or Roy Shire something like that." And they said, Oh, yeah, Rock, yeah, there's a lot of money there, but the guy has his own little stable. He doesn't ever bring anybody else in. He's working with really, really good people. You got Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson, got whomever. And he's got all these stars. So, you know, there's, there's no way you can get in there. I said, Oh, really? You see, that was a challenge. You tell me something's impossible. I will say, Really? Stand back and watch. So about six weeks later, I'm in San Francisco. I'm working for Roy Shire. I'm talking to one of these main little naysayers from Tennessee. And he says, how in the, how in the world, this wrestler who never probably got out of Tennessee, see, said, how in the world did you get to wrestle for Roy Shire? That's it. That's impossible. How did you do that? I said, I sent him a letter. He said, what did you say in the letter? Well, I said in the letter how I think I, I'm pretty sure that I can or I'm convinced that I can make money for Roy Shire. I want to see him so much wealthier than he is. I want to come in and bring some more money into the territory. I think we could do well, something to that effect. The wrestler on the other end of the phone, he says, gosh, Rock, I, I could never say that to Roy Shire. I said, I know you can't. That's why you're in Tennessee. That's why I'm here. And it's all about understanding the value you have really going to work for the promoter. If I work for you, Glenn, if you have a company and I work for you, I want to make you money. I want to make that company more productive. It's not about me. It's about you. The more the better I do for you, the better you do for me, the more invaluable I become to you. And that's an attitude that some of the guys who complain obviously did not have.
0: I'm going to be uh, switching over now uh, to Mr. Mike McCurdy. I know Mike has some questions here as, uh, boy, this has been a, a fast-moving already a hour, uh, almost an hour so oh far. God. But, Mike, yeah, yeah, we may have to uh, go into extra innings here the way we've been talking today. But, Mike McCurdy, oh, I, I know you've been waiting in the bullpen to uh, ask a few more questions uh, for our guest on Wrestling Memories today, the one and only Rock Riddle.
1: Um, yes, I would like to step back, go back a little bit, though. Um before AWA, you mentioned Rock, um, Gulf Coast Wrestling. Yes. And um, I'd like to get kind of your thoughts on a man that some of our listeners are going to know of and someone who I consider one of the nicest men in professional wrestling. I'd like to hear a little bit about the cowboy, Bob Kelly.
2: Wow. Well, as you were setting that up, I was afraid you were going to ask me about cowboy, Bob Kelly, just because uh, it, it hurts that he's not with us any longer. He was a dear friend. <sighs> what can I tell you about Bob Kelly? Okay, I'll give you something funny. We were in a town in some little town in Mississippi. I had my valet at the time, Miss Pamela, working with me. And we obviously she's in the dressing room. Gee, now I'm halfway into the story, and I'm thinking, do I really want to tell this story? Okay, so I guess I'm committed now. Bob Kelly had wrestled. He came back through the from the showers to the dressing room and had forgotten that Miss Pamela was in there. And, and when he saw her, then, of course, he took the towel real quick, and Miss Pamela had been around me too long because what she did Well, she started pointing and laughing. (laughs) And he didn't say anything to her, but he came over to me. He says, I'm going to get you for that. (laughs) Oh, he told me about a time he went into uh, a bar and someone wanted to wrestle him. And he says, okay. And he was going to protect the business and and do it. And the the other guy said, the fan said, but just no no bulldog headlock. And he agreed. Of course he beat the guy and protected the business. We all protected the business. There are people who don't go to the yearly Cauliflower Alley Club reunion, the wrestlers reunion, the big one, each year in Vegas, because Bob Kelly's no longer there. And I know several people that the main a main reason they went was to see Cowboy Bob Kelly. Wonderful guy that that he was i wrestled him many many times many times i don't know what else to say unless you want me to be more specific on something was he good he was very very good did i take that that headlock bulldog headlock more than a dozen times (laughs) yes i did (laughs) so what else would you like to know
1: I just wanted to kind of get your your thoughts on the man because, I mean, I met him at CAC, and I loved Bob. Bob was a great guy. Yeah. Um, I can, real quick, I can even share a little story. Please. I started going to Cauliflower Alley Club in 2006, and I went every – I was going every year. I've had to miss the last couple years because moving out right here to Texas, it's a little more expensive to, uh, you know, make it to Vegas. But every year I always made it a point. First year I was there – we sat. We went to a buffet dinner with a bunch of the boys, and uh, we sat. My friend and I we sat at a table with Bob and his wife. And I didn't know much about Bob Kelly, but after a two-hour conversation, I knew everything there was to know about Bob Kelly and Gulf Coast Wrestling. He knew everything there was to know about me, and I considered Bob a friend. Bob was a great guy, and as I said, I went every year until 2011. I was not able to make it that year because that was the year my son was born. Uh, he was born the day after the reunion, so there was no way I could make it. But uh, I went back in 2012, and I always went up to Bob to shake his hand. The first Every time I went, and I went up to shake his hand that year, I said, Bob, how you doing? And he reaches over, and he grabs my hand, and he pulls me in for a big hug, and he whispers in my ear, how's your boy doing? Bob hadn't seen me in two years, but he knew that the year before I wasn't there, and we'd had a little boy, and he wanted to know how my son was doing. And that's just the kind of man that. You know bob kelly was and i thought this is a great opportunity for our listeners to maybe get a little more about bob kelly because that's a man that just his name should not be forgotten you
2: no know, he was a uh, wonderful in the ring he was one of the best in the ring I, and i really enjoyed wrestling with him working with him knowing him becoming friends with him we had great respect for each other and i look forward to seeing him and and us hugging each other and just letting us uh, each other know how much they are appreciated. So yeah, is a, he's an amazing person. If there's anyone listening who says, who are they talking about? Who's this cowboy guy? I, I don't think I know that name. Google the guy, go on, research him, find out wonderful man. I want to bring up something now because you talked about the Cauliflower Alley Club, that yearly reunion, caulifloweralleyclub.org, for those of you who are listening who don't know what that is. I know you said uh, that when you moved to Texas, you missed a little bit because it was a little more expensive for you. And I'm going to say in all due respect let's don't give ourselves any excuses at all we can do it here's the reason for those who are wrestlers the boys who are listening the fans who are listening you've watched you've wrestled with these people or you've watched them they've been your heroes you've seen them on television all these many times and you say okay well april 30th may 1st and may 2nd 2018 that's the cac this year in vegas uh, but, you know, they do it every year. I'm, I'm sort of busy during that time, and I've got this happening, and my transmission just fell out of the car. That's uh, too much of an expense. So I'll do it next year. I'll go next year. And I'll shake hands with Bill and the name. I'm not going to use a real name. I'll shake hands with my hero, John Doe. Guess what? Next year, John Doe's not there. John Doe's gone. Your hero's gone. You didn't shake his hand. You didn't say how much you appreciated him. You never said thank you. You didn't have the opportunity because things were tight financially because something else happened because you knew you'd have another opportunity. No! By the way, there's something called The Hollywood Show. It goes on in, in Los Angeles and Chicago and I think there's one other place, but You watch people starring on television series as you were growing up and they meant something to you. Gee, go to the conventions, make it a point to meet them, shake their hands. They're all over the place. Meet them, shake their hands, get a picture taken, get an autograph, tell them that they're appreciated. Because... When are you going to get the opportunity? Oh, I wish I had met Michael Jackson before he was murdered. I mean, before <laughs> not that. No, that was a deliberate one on my part before he left us prematurely. Gee, I always loved Ronnie Piper and I wanted to go up and shake his hand and tell him how much he influenced me. Uh, but he died at the age of 61 unexpectedly. So meet people, shake hands. Do yourself a favor. Do them a favor. Because we love it. We love when people come up and want pictures. I've had, uh, because I work in the entertainment industry, I wouldn't say I'm Hollywood's best publicist, but I don't know anyone who's nearly as good. But I uh, because I work in the industry, I've, I've had people, actors on their way up, who've asked me different things. And I've had a few who've said, you know, Rock, I don't, I don't want to, I want to, Make a living in the in the business and film and television, but I don't want to get too big. I don't I don't want to be like I don't want to get to the point that I give up my privacy and I and people want my autographs and pictures all the time. That would that's an invasion of my privacy. And I would look at them and say, you don't have to worry. You'll never you're never going to make it because you see once you become a star, once you become this bigger than life person in the professional wrestling business, in the entertainment industry, film and television. When people come up to you and ask you for an autograph, that's a that's a perk, that's an extra added bonus, don't you realize w- what a compliment that is? You should be grateful for that. This is why I do wrestling conventions whenever I have the time, and sometimes there are 450 people lined up. Here we are myself and a Three, four, five, eight, ten of the guys, and they're bringing programs and all sorts of things because they're and they paid to do this to get an autograph, to get a picture. I said, "Wow, I like when I have the pictures when when I'm scheduled to do pictures with the fans, even when I'm not. Well, they have a camera, sure, I'll take a picture with you. And And normally I'm in a nice suit because I represent professional wrestling, so why would I dress like a slob?" I I want to, if people respect their profession and they represent that profession, then I think they're going to package themselves well. But when people would come up to me like at CA, no, at at different conventions, there's one in Charlotte, for example. uh, They would come up and say, can I get a picture with you? And i said, absolutely, here. I said, however, come back tomorrow at 2 o'clock and get a professional picture, I'll be dressed a lot better then. And they'll smile. I said, yeah, right. I said, no, I'm serious. I'll be dressed a lot better then. And then I'll have a, a shimmer tuxedo or something like that, which will attract people to me who don't even know who I am, if there is such a thing. And that makes more money for the promotion. I'll tell you, I was on the red carpet. I'm on the red carpet in Hollywood for a lot of world premieres and things like that. Uh the promoter of that, the producer of that red carpet said, formal. I sent a picture of myself in a royal blue, total shimmer top and bottom tuxedo Within shirt and everything very very nice but it's like if you put a light on me i'm going to be like the disco ball on the ceiling that it's going to refract light that's how impressive i think uh, the outfit was and i said is this too much i don't want to take away from your stars i'm not in this movie i'm simply walking the red carpet and three times people have said yeah wear something that's really good I remember wearing it at one event where a long stretch limo pulled up. The lady in a beautiful gown, obviously starring in the movie. I won't say the name, but starring in the movie. And then her representative came to me and said, excuse me, would you mind? Could we get a picture? My, my client would like to have a picture with you on, with you on the red carpet.
1: I'm looking at our, our our lovely time frame and I'm seeing we're coming to the end of this hour and I'm gonna have passover Glenn for a wrap up, but I would like to extend an invitation for you to come back for a second hour because we haven't even started to talk about your Hollywood career and some of the other territories you wrestled. So I would like to extend an invitation and I'm sure our listeners would like to have you back on again and hear some more of the stories that you've got to tell.
0: Thank you. I would be happy to do that. Yeah, absolutely, uh, you're, you're more than welcome We'll have to uh, get that booked, you and Mike Could uh, get something lined up here So we can have you back on the program And my oh my, the time does fly When the wrestling memories are this good A big thank you to the Grizzled Vet Mike McCurdy for uh, booking This wonderful, wonderful Edition of the program, which will Have an extension, I tell you, there's going to be a main event Down the line, but thank you Mike uh, Of course, uh, it's always nice to have A, a co-host and a guy So knowledgeable of pro wrestling, so thank you Mike friend down there in texas
1: well thank you for having me man i always enjoy uh being on the show with you and i always enjoy talking with rock so i actually met him at California club in 2006 i sat at the uh baloney blowout with him and uh dr Leno and chris cruz were also at that table with us that uh that night
0: oh very 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 cool and uh, also thank you uh rock riddle for uh being a part of wrestling memories uh for this installment my pleasure for Rock Riddle and the Grizzled Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Rastlin' Memories.